Greetings, folks. Daniel Wickwire here again. Welcome back to Kaiju Movie Review. I am joined by my ever always loyal host, co-host, Mr. Zach. Hello, sir. We we may be brothers, but I don't think we're drift compatible. No, probably not. And that's relevant. That is very relevant. And we'll, we'll we'll talk about that here in a minute, though. Well, Mr. Zach, what what bit of kaiju news do you have for us over this past two weeks? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting. It just so happens that this past week we got uh, some first... We got some news because the uh, principal photography has begun on the sequel to the movie we'll be talking about today, Pacific Rim. The new film will be under the title of Pacific Rim Maelstrom, and we have also learned that... John Boyega will be starring in the film, and he will be playing the son of the one of the lead characters from the first film, and that is Stacker Pentecost. I had a feeling that's who he would end up playing. It's like the son you never heard anything about. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I was at too. Like I read, I I saw that, and I was like, when did they never even brought that up? Like they, because like when he when he was gonna drift at one point in the movie, he's like, I have nothing to. He's like, I have nothing. There's no points or whatever. So he can, like, drift with anybody or something. He's like that magical character from, like, an anime that's just auto, that's just compatible with another person just for no real reason. He just just, be, just because. Well, see, we're now talking about the movie, man. We're drifting. We're, we're literally drifting we're, too far. We literally are drifting too far. Don't latch You're on, right. dude. Don't go, down the dra- don't go down the rabbit hole. I, I was going down the rabbit hole, but... Uh, no, I I thought it was very interesting that we just happened to get this new news right when we were uh, getting ready to record for Pacific Rim. So, yeah, looking forward to that. I'm hoping I I would imagine we'll probably see the the new film sometime either late next year or in early 2018. So, hopefully that's the case because I think it'll be it should be exciting depending on which direction they decide to go with it. It should be, and I think I think there's an easy way they could retcon this into the story, but we'll not talk about that quite yet. But yeah, I, I'm glad to hear that they had that, that news has come out because I didn't hear it. But they did. I did post this on the Kaiju Movie Review Facebook page. By the way, you can go hunt us down over there and and follow us if you'd like it. We post pretty much anything regarding kaiju related movie stuff, and and of course about the channel there. But um, they they mentioned that the actor who plays. Uh, Gosh, what's his name? I can't think of his name. He plays Common Rider Drive. He's the actual actor who plays him in the in the te- in the television show or movie. I'm sorry, the movie, and he will actually be in that movie too. So, Common Rider. Yeah. So we're technically have a Common Rider, though he's not actually playing Common Rider in the show. As awesome as yeah. that would be, no, it's not. He's happening. an actor. Yeah, but it's cool though. I mean, they got another Japanese actor. It's great. Anyways, my news for the day is regarding the new Kong Skull Island. A little more information which maybe you haven't heard yet, pertaining to Kong himself. Of course, you've probably already seen the trailer that dropped a couple weeks ago. Well, tomorrow we're recording this as of 11-15-2016. Then the second trailer is going to be coming out showing much more stuff, uh, many more wonderful things, better look at Kong, and a supposedly another another monster. Not that that should be surprised. I made this post on Facebook and Twitter. If you've seen any other King Kong movie you know he's going to fight another monster slash dinosaur. So it's not a surprise that there's another monster in it. But it might be a kaiju from kind of the, this little teaser image I've seen. But before I mention that one, 
Kong is going to be bipedal in this movie, not like a traditional gorilla like he has been in like the, the last one they did. The Peter Jackson, where he was more like a proper yeah. primate. He's going to be more bipedal like King Kong was in the Toho films. His pelt is going to be brown, not black or gray like he's been in the past. And supposedly he's not fully grown. Supposedly. Which would put him in line with being able to be large enough to fight Godzilla. Because in the movie he's said to be like 100 feet tall and Godzilla is like a lot. <laughs> I hope... I hope 300 monster, feet tall, I think. 300, so I hope, 300 plus. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. I hope the mystery monster is Gazora. Uh, that would be cool because he did fight... Uh, what was his name? Uh, gosh. He fought Gazora oh. in Godzilla vs. King Kong. No, he didn't fight Gazora. That wasn't Gazora. That was... Uh, that was uh, oh. Was it old Dachi or whatever? It was just yeah, an octopus. I know. But it would have been funny if it was, it was the octopus. He should have fought Gazora, though. That would have been great. It would have been great and predated that movie by like eight years, though. <laughs> I know. But it still would have been cool. But Don't any... ruin my f- Dan. I know. I can't help it. But anyway, uh, we did find this this kaiju. You don't really see it very well, or monster, dinosaur, or whatever. It's supposedly there's a, an image that shows a, a code name for it. If they're talking about the same one, refer to it as Skull Crusher. Or skull, skull crawler? It's skull crawler, not skull crusher. So I don't know. And then it shows a couple skeletons of, of of dead Kongs. So obviously he's not the only one. But they kind of elaborated on that in uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong. Though this has no uh, affiliation with that whatsoever. It's its own separate entity, its own separate timeline, all attached to the upcoming King Kong versus Godzilla movie. So that takes be... place. It takes place in Legendary's Godzilla universe. Yes, it does. And then 2020, they'll have a, a Godzilla movie, but that's going to be coming out March 10th, 2017. So it's not far away. Of course, we'll do a vlog about it when we go and see it because I'm not missing that movie. It's relevant. It's relevant. No, I'm not going to miss that one either, especially especially since it has such a strong connection to the Legendary Godzilla film from a couple years ago. Yeah, exactly. And uh, actually, I need to mention because. Kong's coming out 17. Godzilla got pushed back to 2019. Yeah, the second Legendary Godzilla got pushed back because they switched directors. And Pacific Rim was actually supposed to come out. Maelstrom was supposed to come out either 15 or 16 or six or this year, but it has been has been in development hell forever, and it's just finally coming out. I don't. I wouldn't expect to see it until sometime early 18. I really wouldn't. I mean, the movie didn't do really well here in the States. I remember when I watched it, you know, I watched the first one. It did not do very good in the States, but it did astronomically well in the foreign market. That's, again, why they're making a sequel. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, this kind of thing works way better on... uh, um, This kind of movie works way better overseas than it does here, like, nine times out of ten, so... It's true. But uh, that being said... Let's go ahead and let's start talking about that whole movie thing that we're supposed to be talking about today. Allegedly. So, of course, today, Zach and I are talking about the wonderful Pacific Rim. I know, I just spoiled it right there. Released in uh, July 12th, 2013, directed by Guillermo del Toro. I apologize if I pronounce that all sorts of wrong. I have Every time I go to say his name, my tongue just explodes. It is written by... I think it's Travis. It's not. I typed it wrong. Travis Beecham and Guillermo del Toro. It stars Charlie Hunnam, Idris Elba, Rinko Kikuchi, Charlie Day, and Bird Gore. Ah, Burn Gorman. 
The movie starts. Oh, go ahead. You got something to say? You get all the you get all the difficult names this week. I do. I know it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be awesome. So the movie starts in 2013, which was the year it was released. An inter- there's an inter- interdimensional rift that opens up below the ocean, which they refer to later in the movie as the breach, which spews kaiju into the world. Uh, the first kaiju to appear is a kaiju which is referred to as Trespasser. They don't mention the name of it in the movie, but I'm a nerd and like to look stuff up like that. Attacks San Francisco. It takes the military six days and three tactical nuclear strikes later to kill the kaiju. Of course, it, it, this is, never mind. I'm about to spoil it here for you. I'll, I'll, I digress. Let me get to the important stuff first. Six months later, another kaiju appears in Manila, and then an X amount of months later, another one, and another one, and another one. And then they realize that this is a problem that's not necessarily just going to go away. So, with no ending in sight as far as the reoccurring kaiju problem... Humanity begins, humanity throws aside their squabbles, focuses on a common enemy, and starts the Jaeger program. The Jaeger program is to build gigantic robots, as practical as that is, but it is very, very awesome, gigantic robots to battle gigantic kaiju. They they create a device which makes a neural connection between a human pilot and the machine, but it's very taxing on a single human being to the point that it literally kills people if they are not, which most people have don't have the mental fortitude to withstand such a process. So they end up dividing it amongst two people, a la how our brain works, left hemisphere, right hemisphere, and they use a uh, what they call the drift, where two people essentially link mentally. They can, they know what's going on in each other's minds. It's perfect synchronization to help control a giant, giant robot. After the Jaegers the enter, which is referred to later in the movie as the Kaiju War, it dramatically shifts the tide of war to the humans' favor, where they're literally killing Kaiju left and right. They're making a ton of Jaegers. All seems well. Jump, what, seven years in the future, yeah, because it's 2020. We meet Raleigh and Yancey, which are the two pilots of the Mark III Jaeger, Gypsy Danger, our main robot. Main Jaeger. Gypsy is dispatched to battle a brand new Category 3 Kaiju, which is codenamed Knifehead. And I just want to make a comment. I I think it seems like when they name these Kaiju, because they're rated as a category by the Sarazawa scale, which is, of course, a reference to Dr. Sarazawa from the original Godzilla, it reminds me of how they name Hurricanes. Like, they just got this random-ass generator. It's like, the next one comes up is this. The next one comes up is this. But it's funny because, it's obviously, it's not that random because it all has to do with the, their visual characteristics. But it, one, I wonder how they know that ahead of time. Cause they That's, spout- an, inter- That's an interesting point. Like, they don't... They just kind of have the names. Like, they don't really explain that. It's, I never really even thought about that. I just... Uh, I just was like, oh, the, the they look at the... You know their names, whatever they look like. So, oh yeah, and never it's, thought. Of that. Yeah, no, I I didn't either. Uh, it's it's really kind of <clears throat> excuse me. It's kind of funny. I just think of that now while I'm reading this, but I'm not gonna pick it too much because it's it, they they give names that suit them, and I'm not gonna question how it works. Uh, the, I'll go into a little bit about the Sarazawa scale works, but anyhow, the a new category three kaiju called Knifehead. They launch Gypsy Danger, link up, go out to battle Knifehead. Gypsy beats him up a bit, launches a couple plasma blasts at it. Huzzah, one more tally for Gypsy. However, this is kind of a turning point as far as the whole 
kaiju war goes as the kaiju start getting more powerful, more intelligent, so on and so forth. Well, Knifehead faints being dead and takes this opportunity to capitalize, very critically damaging Gypsy Danger, ripping off his arm, ripping off its arm, tearing a huge hole in its chest, and actually killing Yancey, Raleigh's brother, and by ripping up part of Gypsy Danger's head, the cockpit where the pilots sit at, because they're linked in, they're physically like strapped into this device, and he went with it when they pulled it out. While, of course, this looks like everything's said and done, Raleigh manages to seize total control of the robot by himself, which almost nobody can do, and ends up finishing off, excuse me, Knifehead and himself, his uh, Gypsy Danger in the process. As I mentioned, this battle is a big turning point for humanity. The Category 2 and under Kaiju, even Category 3 Kaiju, start becoming less common. Category 4 start becoming more common, so much more powerful, much bigger, way more advanced kaiju to defeat these Jaeger, which can't keep up. They Essentially, humanity starts losing wars. I mean, towns are getting wiped, our cities are getting wiped out, the Jaegers can't compete with them, they can't build them fast enough, their pilots keep dying, to the point where humanity kind of says, well, maybe we need to not use these Jaegers, and they devise a coastal wall project, which seems like a more viable object, uh, uh, more a viable Solution, which is essentially wall off all major coastal, all, all coastal areas around, essentially the rift, or not the rift, but the breach, so to prevent the kaiju from getting in. Attack on Titan style. Five years after it, Raleigh has essentially resorted to working on these wall projects because he wants nothing to do with the Jaeger program after what happened to his brother and all the bad stuff. You know, they're losing. He's just trying to do anything possible to get by. He's by himself. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, there's literally the world's slowly coming to an end. His former commander, Stacker Pentecost, finds him at one of these walls and it essentially talks him into coming back to the Jaeger program for one last hurrah to finally get rid of the kaiju. Riley is taken to the Shatter Dome, which is the base in Hong Kong, which is where most of the movie takes place at this point, where he meets Mako Mori, Pentecost's aide, and an aspiring Jaeger pilot, Dr. Newton Gessler which is a kaiju freak, is awesome. He's a biologist, big into kaiju biology. He's got tattoos. It's, 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 he's awesome. He's one of my favorite characters. Uh, Dr. Gottlieb, which is the mathematician, maybe quantum physics professor. I, I don't know. They don't really explain his, but he's very good at mathematics and calculations and, and temporal rips and stuff like that. And then you meet the other important pilots of the pilots of the remaining Jaegers. There's only four left. Um, Crimson Typhoon, Chernal Alpha, Striker Eureka, and then, of course, the rebuilt Gypsy Danger. As far as you mentioned, the coastal wall failing. That baby fell like Wall Maria under the, the Colossal Titan, man. Took it an hour. Yep. Fell in under an hour to Mutivore. So, anyway, um, after bringing everybody into the Shatter Dome and, and everyone getting equated, Pentecost explains that his plan for sealing up the breach and stopping the kaiju invasion is to drop a tremendous nuclear bomb into the breach closing the connection and preventing kaiju from continuing to come in. Pentecost comes to the two scientists and asks them for, you know, ideas for, for dealing with kaiju. Gottlieb theorizes that the frequency of kaiju appearances are going to increase to the point where we are eventually going to get multiple breaches at once, which everybody kind of laughs them off because they've never had more than one come through at a time. Meanwhile, Geisler wants to attempt a drift with 
a piece of kaiju brain that they recovered, to which Pentecost objects, saying that he would just end up killing himself if he were to even attempt it. This leads us to Raleigh doing trials to pick a co-pilot for Gypsy Danger. He wants to partner with Mako. Pentecost is not okay with this, saying that she's too inexperienced to fight and explaining to her that her emotions, she can't rein in her emotions well enough to to, ma- to maintain a drift. This ends up they end up becoming partners despite Pentecost objecting to it at his own choice, actually, which is kind of interesting. But they, they attempt their first drift test, and Mako, as Pentecost predicted, is not able to rein in her emotions and nearly destroys the Shatter Dome by, by nearly firing the Gypsy Danger's plasma cannon directly into the Shatter Dome's control room. Don't follow down the rabbit hole. You don't go down the rabbit hole, don't and that's exactly why. This jumps to Geisler going against Pentecost's orders and drifting with the kaiju brain. He then learns that the kaiju are clones of one another, which is why the makeup of the kaiju is so similar. To, in order to get more information, though, because he only had part of a brain, he needs to get another one, and Pentecost tells him that he knows of a black market dealer that they have a deal with to clean up the kaiju, and he could probably get a brain from him. He goes and meets with Hannibal Chow, who, who recycles the parts from kaiju after they're defeated. He doesn't have a brain on hand. He says it's it's a useless part and he doesn't keep them because they're impossible to keep alive. And they're too hard to get to. They're, they're too hard, hard to get to as yeah. well, yeah. So I think he, he opts to go with the second brain because Kaiju have two brains to coordinate because their bodies are so big. Because the mm-hmm. brain and the head's too hard, the skull's too thick. And then when Geisler explains to him that he wants the brain to drift with it, and he has already drifted with it, Chow becomes enraged, and soon two Category 4 kaiju emerge near Hong Kong. The two in question are Otachi and Leatherback, and we learn that those two are, are actually looking for Geisler because he drifted with the kaiju brain. So they're trying to get to him, I can only assume, to keep him from telling the humans how to like get through the drift or anything like that. Yeah, it should be noted here. I didn't it didn't include it. We're reading over the script here. I don't mind telling you guys because that's how this stuff works. The kaiju operate on a hive mind, so if one knows it, they all know it. And when yep. you drift, it's like when you drift with two pilots. They know everything you're doing. You know everything they're doing. So it's the way it worked. So This causes the kaiju to attack. Chow throws Geisler out into the street, telling him that he can find his own shelter within the public shelters. This leads to Crimson Typhoon and Cherno Alpha being uh, deployed to intercept the two kaiju. Unfortunately for Cherno Alpha, who is the first one to the fight, they don't know at this point that there are two. So once the second kaiju enters the fray, Cherno Alpha is made very short work of, which, I mean, we learned earlier in the movie that Cherno Alpha was a Generation 1 Jaeger, so it's not too surprising that it got defeated so easily. Well, you can kind of blame Otachi for that, because actually he killed Crimson Typhoon first. Oh, yeah, he did. You're right. Yep. He killed the Chinese one, and then, yeah, and then Cherno Alpha just got completely overwhelmed by the other two. This caused Leatherback to unleash a giant EMP, disabling all the Jaegers and and everything in the city except for Gypsy Danger, because Gypsy Danger is an analog machine and runs on a nuclear reactor. So it was not disabled by the EMP. This leads Pentecost to reluctantly deploy Gypsy Danger and send them into Hong Kong to prevent the two kaiju from making it into the city. And if you want to know the rest of the story, you actually have to watch the movie because it's really, really good. (laughs) 
It is very good. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I watched it last night before we were recording this, and, you know, I gotta say, I hadn't watched it in probably about nine months, and I was still just hanging on every, th- every word, man. Well, to, when we get to the closing statement, I have I have many things to say. But that being said, we gotta go to, to our favorite part, or at least my favorite part. I'm not even gonna talk about the special effects. I'm gonna sum them up all right now. They're really good. They're really they really are. Good. Yeah, pretty much they, everything. I mean, pretty much everything CG. I mean, it, it kind of had to be. Yeah, I mean, but I will. Uh, this is actually funny. Del Toro, when he designed it, he said he knew everything was going to be CG, but he wanted everything to be designed, like all the kaiju to be designed. That if they were if they were going to put a like make physical suits and put an actor in it, it would still work. A little bit of trivia there for you. So that's pretty that clever. Is, that is very neat. Yeah, Del Toro is a huge. He grew up on tokusatsu and super robot shows so this whole show is just a massive homage to stuff like that nothing where he borrowed like something directly he did not want to do that to be like oh hey he took that from whatever but not really super blatant but i just figured that's worth mentioning yeah i mean there there's a couple kaiju that are very obviously based on on classic ones but We'll get to that when we talk about kaiju design. Which which we can just talk about now, because we already covered the special effects, dude. Oh, I mean they're true. they're really good. I mean this is a big they're budget. CG and they're CG. It's a it's a it's a yeah, it's a triple A Hollywood title, man. I mean this is Yeah. Thankfully for the the foreign market that it did so damn well because it did not do very well here, but it made more than its money, hence the reason we got a sequel even after a big battle. But yeah, all the effects are top notch. Would um, you say would you say, Dan, that it was even after a kaiju big battle? Yeah! There you go. But, uh, kaiju, we need to talk about these. There's a lot of kaiju in this movie. In fact, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight kaiju in this movie. Actually, there's more than that because there's a few I don't account for because they're just shown very briefly. Uh-huh. Uh, it would be, um, uh, Karloff is one of them, and there was another... God, what the heck? There's one more kaiju that it showed, and I and it, uh, I can't remember what it's called. But there's technically it shows ten, ten or eleven kaiju. Act no, there's there's eleven because it shows a kaiju named Hardship at the very beginning. And there's a ton. They're just really quick. But they said when they're making the movie, they designed a hundred Jaeger and a hundred kaiju, and they went down and they voted, like like they said, to take the cast or or the development crew, directorial crew, whatever, and they went around and they said which one do you think's the best out of these, and they just whittled it down. So. There you go. And actually, we'll talk a little bit about the Jaegers, too, in kaiju design, because it's not technically kaiju, but it is very relevant to the story. It's mecha, so it's awesome. Oh, of course. Uh, kaiju, uh, of course, you mentioned they are all clones, because they're made by an alien race, which is it's given away at this point. I didn't mention the synapses, but they're sent through the rift by an alien race called the Precursors. It's not in the movie, don't worry. Uh, the name isn't, and they're there to destroy Earth. Yeah, if you want any more, you can watch the movie. But that's pretty general. But they're all they're all silicon based. They all have an was an ammonia ammonia based blood. So they're they're yes. they're designed. They're genetically designed creatures. That's why all their genetics are the same. Their DNA is the same because all it is is one base creature, and they just modify it to make it work. That's why they kept getting bigger and stronger and more frequent. They could send them in faster. So we send this one in, and we send this one in. And there's like, I don't know if there's a time limit, like I don't want to send them so fast, or they were growing them quicker, because uh, this is obviously not the first time they've done this. Mentions in the movie, just didn't put it in the synapses. They're all, they're all modeled after, uh, there's all, they've all got references to real world animals. 
like their design wise like knife head you know zach was making a joke here and you mentioned it earlier actually and i don't know if it's going to be in the recording or not but knife head he made a gear on reference from gamera all monsters attack i think is the movie from big old knife head on him but that's what reminded but he actually looks like a goblin shark too it very heavily favors a goblin shark, and all of the kaiju have some, almost all of them have some kind of bioluminescence. Did yeah, you notice that? yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Like a lot of them, when like when they open their mouth to roar, like their inside of their mouth is like all lit up, or they'll have like little like basically like <laughs> racing stripes down their arms yeah. and stuff, where they're all glowing. It's super cool looking. It makes them look awesome. It's especially cool because all the all the kaiju fight scenes are done at night, so they just really it's really glows especially especially like when you're watching it on blu-ray like it looks fantastic i can only imagine uh had i been able to acquire the 4k version before uh we watched the film uh i can only imagine that the 4k version would have been just fantastic looking so oh i'm sure because the blu-ray looks damn fine it looks beautiful. yeah and i mean I, I and i'm gonna i mean i'm still gonna buy the the 4k version i'm still gonna upgrade my 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 blu-ray because i like this movie enough that i think it's worth doing that I'm just not going to do it now with the prices being what they are. Yeah, no, I don't blame you. I mean, it's a relatively new thing. You just got to give it time for the price to come down on it. Exactly. Um, I will say the the kaiju are, are, they're all so differently designed. Like, I know they're all based, like I have a base genetics to them. Excuse me, but they're all so differently designed. Like, knife, like they're all somewhat semi-aquatic designed to them because, of course, the breach is underwater and they got it and they kind of transition from that to land. But, you know, you have Knifehead, which is very shark-like. And then you have Onibaba, which is the kaiju that is in Mako Mori's flashback, which is crustacean, yeah. arthropod-like. And you have Otachi, which is dragon bat-like. Leatherback is more like a, literally designed more like a gorilla, like a shaved gorilla. Uh, there's three kaiju we don't mention that appear at the end of them. Schooner is just a very interesting design. Raiju is one of my favorite. He looks like a crocodile. And Slattern, the final kaiju, is just freaking awesome. It, it doesn't look like... It, it's just batshit nuts, for lack of a better term. It's yeah. awesome. It's just awesome. I don't. I want to talk, talk so much about the ending of the movie, but I'm not gonna, because it's just awesome. <laughs> yeah, we should be good. Yes. Oh, and I, I didn't mention, when we were talking about the wall, because I want to talk about that, the coastal wall, it's a, it's a, it's a horse crap idea. Because they show it, like, towards the... Uh, a little bit after the... Yeah, Raleigh ends up ends up you know he loses the fight and his brother dies and stuff and it shows him working on the wall. Well, it shows a cla- uh, category four kaiju mutivore, which actually does show that in daylight because that's one of the few daylight fights, but it's not focused on very much. Striker Eureka, uh, one of the other Jaegers, actually ends up kicking its butt, but it actually breaks through the wall in less than an hour. Yeah, it, I it, mean, it, I mean that that thing that thing goes colossal titan on on that wall and it just it just destroys it and mutivore is not like the biggest of the biggest category fours and then i'll explain how that works but he it did not take it long to get through but how it works is the category system is the sarazawa scale is based on how much water they displace which is of course their size and weight toxicity level because the kaiju blood is it's called it has an effect called kaiju blue that once the kaiju dies since they're a genetic weapon they're designed to instantly start breaking down well the blood actually releases a it's acidic and it also ends up releasing a toxin that makes the air and the land that they're on like uninhabitable so yeah, it's, it's 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 really interesting actually like 
that whole that whole like thing with the kaiju blue is just it, just great writing like it's just it's fantastic like design choice and everything yeah i mean it's a little thing that's mentioned really early on in the movie they don't really highlight it much but it's subtext it's like subtext to build the world because you got to think if you're a brilliant alien species that's making these and sending these forth if one of them dies make them useful make them to- make the land toxic and unusable you know, exactly. if, you're, if you're literally yeah. at, at war and trying to take over this planet, make them do something after they die and make them break down real fast. So, you know, you can't, the other organisms can't, you know, go through and figure out how they work. Of course, you know, humans are resourceful. We figure out ways to prevent the decay and stuff like that. But it's 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 just Del Toro and the writing staff just did an amazing job fleshing this all out, whether it was even used or not. It just all this stuff's just fleshed out immensely, which maybe it'll be more important in the sequel. Uh, and I hope they keep with that because I'm actually working. I want to go into kaiju before I talk about this too much. Oh, and yes, I will say this. This is a little bit of a spoiler. And I don't care because pretty obvious. Category five is the highest, and the last kaiju slattern is a category five, and it's freaking brilliant. But the kaiju, the Jaegers, I don't even write their names down. There's only a handful of important ones. But there's, there's tons. There's tons they don't mention in it. It's like I said, they've designed hundreds of these things, but there's a bunch that don't get mentioned. They did a, 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 a prequel, Tales from Year Zero, which is a comic book that the writer of the movie actually wrote. So it's a, just to give you some stuff early on and build some more backstory to it. But there's some kaiju in there that aren't in the actual movie. There's Jaegers in there that aren't in the actual movie. There's ones that are mentioned in the movie, but aren't actually in the movie. Of course, our main one's Gypsy Danger, which is a... World War Two fighter pilot or fighter bomb, a uh, fighter bomber kind of aesthetic to it with like its graphics and stuff. Pretty straightforward humanoid. All the Jaegers are all humanoid based. Uh, he's a, of course analog generation three nuclear reactor, all that fun stuff. Of course, the United States, the U.S. is Jaeger, and then the other important ones are Crimson Typhoon, which is China's. They don't mention what do they mention what generation Crimson Typhoons is? Uh, I don't think they I do. Think- yeah, I don't think they do either because there's only one Gen Four, which is. Uh... No, he's a Gen Five. Oh, is it? Yes, Striker's okay. a Gen Five. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's mentioned. I think they only really mentioned the that uh, Cherno Alpha and Striker and Gypsy. Uh, yeah, I, I would assume Crimson Typhoon's probably a Gen Three or a Gen Four. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because yeah, the only the only thing they really mention about Crimson Typhoon is that it's. Uh, it is actually piloted by a three-man team. Which is awesome. Which is the only one that's piloted by three. It's freaking cool. They, and then, of course, they mentioned Cherno Alpha, which is a relic. Of course, when you have Russians, not the stereotype, but you got Russians, and they have to have the big, bulking brute. And it's, yep. it's very simplistic. It's not. Its design is, is really ugly, but it's cool in that way. It's huge, and it's heavy as crap, and it's just old school. And it doesn't Dude, really have... Whole... Go ahead. Oh, the whole thing, like how the how they, which I guess you go ahead and finish because I'm going to talk a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about like how they pilot the robots. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'm just going to talk about them a minute, and then you can have that because I'm just talking my head off about all this. And you know, they're all really cool and they all play to their strengths. You know, like Crimson Typhoon's finesse, Gypsy's kind of a balanced fighter, Cherno is just a heavyweight bruiser, heavy armor. 
Striker Eureka is is the la is the one and only fifth generation Jaeger before they can the project. It was digital, so it was super fast, and it was actually the fastest. It was the fastest of the Jaegers. It's just brutal, man. It's it's really cool. But that's you go ahead, Zach. You talk about this. I've been talking long enough. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the piloting system because it's actually it's it's kind of interesting. They basically link up the two people, they drift, and then their combined motions are what control the the machine. The first thing that jumps into my head as as a longtime fan of the, the Gundam franchise is G Gundam. Oh, yeah, because, I wasn't thinking because, about that. Yeah, the G Gundam control system reminds me so much of this, and I can't remember which one it was, but I know one of the Super Sentai series use something so similar as well so it, oh it was um it was um oh my god was it her was it hurricanger hurricanger yeah that yeah, might have been it it's i i can't remember because i just i started watching i haven't been watching super sentai very long and i've only seen two series through in their entirety so i mean i can't remember i can't keep them all straight but i know <laughs> that there is a there is a mecha in 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 super sentai somewhere that that works on the same principle and it's just really interesting i i love the idea that they control the weaponry and the movements of the of the jaegers completely with just their own bodies and it's not like a traditional like sit down pilot thing like you would see in like a traditional gundam series or or anything like that and i just i just thought that 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 the way they did it and it i mean it's clear that like dan mentioned earlier Guillermo del Toro did obviously base this on like classic Japanese super robots because I'm sure if you go back there are other super robots that work the same way and it's just it's just a really cool system to to see and it's just it's awesome to see it take influence from you know older anime and and tokusatsu and uh, and you could make the you could make the obvious Evangelion reference too yeah exactly Ava's another great one it's just it's a cool it's a cool thing i'm 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 really happy with what they did with it yeah and one, uh, oh go ahead, go it, ahead it makes it makes it interesting like i said it's just it's far more interesting than just seeing them sitting in a in a seat poking blindly at buttons or if you get a lot of us robot shows you'll notice this in a lot of american ro- shows with robots they're either remotely controlled or like they said they sit in a cockpit they don't like and mostly they're just remotely controlled or they're sentience or they've got their own sentience or ai they're rarely ever do you see very many American shows where they get inside of a robot and pilot it. Yep. Oh, the the one thing needs to be mentioned about the drift, the neural link is it, it, it's a <laughs> something happens really bad to the robot, it will send an overload signal back to it, like a dismemberment or stuff to arms or a lot of physical damage. The pilot yep. will feel that because it's neurally linked to the robot. Yeah, which they mention in the film when they when Mako and. Uh raleigh do their first test he says he needs to be on the right side because his left arm isn't so good and that is from the beginning of the movie when gypsy lost its left arm fighting against knifehead oh my god oh there's words words <laughs> okay let's let's move on we've been talking about that long enough we could probably i could probably sit there and go another couple hours talking about the kaiju and jaegers in that film why don't you let us know about what you found in your search of film availability Oh, so film availability, not a problem. This thing came out in the last few years. It is everywhere. You can get it digitally. You can get it on DVD, Blu-ray, Blu-ray 3D, and now 4K. You know, a quick search of eBay. The DVD, Blu-ray, and 3D Blu-rays 
can be had on eBay for under 10 bucks, which is a, a steal. I mean, it's it's a great deal. I mean, obviously, this is uh, these are relying on auctions. If you're going to buy it now, you're probably looking at 10 to 15 for the Blu-ray and still probably sub 10 for the other two. And the 4K being more recent, I've only really seen auctions for it, and they tend to end between 20 and $30. But with this thing, you know, dropping at $31.99, I believe, is the, the what it's selling at most places on 4K. I mean, I'd wait till it's a little lower. For me, the sweet spot is about 15 to 20 range for the 4K, 10 or so on, on the other formats, you know, depending on what you're willing to pay and what format you want it on. As far as Amazon is concerned, I found, of course, the same formats he mentioned, and they would go from 5 to about $32. That would include DVD, Blu-ray, 3D Blu-ray, and the HD Blu-ray. The DVD was about $5 new. The 3D Blu-ray was on sale for, for 10 bucks essentially. The regular Blu-ray is on sale for was normal price 15 and then the HD 4K was $32. And as he said, it's out there. The movie's still being popped. It's all over the place. You have no problem finding it. It's like I said, digital formats. You can get it pretty much just about anywhere. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, too, you buy the Blu-ray. I, th- I, be- I think the Blu-ray is a combo pack. I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't remember uh, either. Mine's in the other room, so I'm not even going to worry about it. The 3D Blu-ray does come with a standard one, and the 4K also comes with a standard Blu-ray. So your uh, your options are there if you want a future-proof. All right, Zach, why don't you let us know your closing statement slash recommendation for this film? I absolutely recommend it. If you are a fan of kaiju films, it's great. I mean, it's just it, it's an American big-budget take on a kaiju film, and it's so well done. This one is easily among the best kaiju films I've seen, and it's easily the best American kaiju film, like, bar none. My only big problem with the movie, honestly, is the obvious love story between Mako and and Raleigh feels too forced. Yeah. But, I mean, aside from that, the movie's great. I mean, I get it. They need the love story there. You got to have something for the ladies in the audience. It's something you learn to live with when you're watching American movies. But, yeah, ultimately, fantastic movie. I love it had it since i got i got it black friday last year and i'm hoping black friday this year i can upgrade my blu-ray to a 4k disc well i can't argue with zach on that one and i, I don't know i mean it, it's I, I don't know what to say to this movie i recommend it to anybody i don't care what movies you like you need to go see this at the time when this movie came out i was the general manager of the movie theater local movie theater here the not when that movie was coming out i was so pissed off because our theater at the time wasn't getting it we had different movies that we knew would have sold better sci-fi sci-fi doesn't sell here i was very upset but ironically i was going on vacation that week so i actually ended up seeing it in kentucky so which is stayed away from where i live but i remember going to see this movie and i want to tell the story because me and my wife talk about it was me it was a friend of mine i believe his wife angela my wife myself and then victor was the only kid we had at the time she was pregnant with ridley I remember going to see this movie in a movie theater. It wasn't very busy. It was a Cinemark or Carmike. I can't remember. One of the bigger one of the bigger chains here in the southeast. But I remember going in and watching. I was very excited because I'd heard all the hype. I actually didn't read a whole lot about it. And my experience of, of kaiju movies at this point had been Godzilla, War of the Gargantuas, King Kong. And, and, and the way those movies were shot is very fun and engaging and 
and but it, they're not really scary per se. God, kaiju movies were never ever scary to me. If they were, it was like Godzilla 1984 with the shockerist, the sea louse when it comes down from the ceiling. It always stuff involves humans or other creatures, except for War of the Gargantulas. That kind of freaked me out a little bit. And then Rodan with the Mega Newlands, the little worms in the cave. That scared me as a little bit. Not never like I remember going into this movie watching it, like being pumped. Like I was really excited for it. And the opening scene between Gypsy Danger and Knifehead was like the first time I, I watched a movie like this and it, they made the kaiju legitimately scary. Because most of these, there's a big disconnect between what's happening to the actor and, and, and the giant creature or the giant suit and the monster. Because they're never played off to be that. They're just played off to be action films and not really supposed to be scary. But the way these are made is like... It's like Del Toro does a lot of horror film. And you can tell in what happens to his characters. The way it was shot, the cinematography being very dark in the water. I was like, well, this is really cool. It's very atmospheric. But the moment... That knife had latched his claws into the top of Gypsy, and Yancey looked over at Rayleigh and started telling him something, and he just gets ripped out of <laughs> of uh, Gypsy. I was like, I was like, this, for lack of a better term, this shit's real. I mean, like, I'm like, I'm yeah. on board with this. This was, I was completely devoted. There's one of the few times, like, I still get goosebumps when I watch this movie. It was an amazingly immense, impactful, impactful experience for me. Whenever a kaiju's on scene, on on screen you know it's not something to be taken lightly. It's not something that's going to, oh, well, on the outside, little sparks going to fly. There's no real damage. No. To- suits are torn apart. People are killed. Kaiju get r- arms ripped off. Badly damaged. I mean, people, they are dangerous all the time. It's not like fight, 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 and then everything starts getting crazy towards the end. No, it's anytime pilots die, it is very, very vividly depicted on screen. Just to let you know, like the horror they're going through and having to deal with with this going on, and I don't, I don't know. Like I'm, like I'm probably ranting on this more than I should, but that was the most impactful thing. I mean, the movie is brilliant, 100%. I love the designs, I love the robots. It was tastefully done, it was respectfully done. The acting was good. I loved all the actors in the movie. I love the inclusion of a Japanese actor. I love the there's subtle inclusions of, of uh, Japanese text. I don't want to say later where it's most of it's translated, but there's a line that's said in the movie that's not translated at all, and it's it's brilliant and it's literally one of the best kaiju movies I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, and, and I was actually talking to Angela the other day, and I said, "What's better, this or Shin Godzilla?" And we didn't know. And Shin Godzilla is really really good. But they're two different movies, but this movie just had such an impact on me when I watched it. My wife even gets goosebumps when she watches that movie. It's just that damn good. I can't even tell you, if you've not seen this movie, why you need to watch this movie. That story should sum it up, in a nutshell. Because I called you after I watched this act. Yeah. I I called you up, and I'm like, you have to see this movie. Rarely do I do that. It was big, man. It It was big growing up watching that, seeing somebody that loved it and took it to this new level. Yeah, it, even even Godzilla twenty fourteen, good movie. I really liked it, loved it in theaters. I got all excited and giddy watching it. It's still not as good as Pacific Rim. It's just not that good. I mean, like it's a good movie. It's just not that good. And that's my closing. And yes, if that's not as parent as freaking day, I do recommend this movie wholeheartedly, without a shadow of a doubt. Everybody that I gotta say, everybody that worked at the movie theater, I said. You need to see because we ended up getting it after the fact. We ended up getting like two months later, 
because we needed a fill spot. And I was like, just get Pacific Rim because Brandon, the guy that I watched it with, was the owner of the movie theater, a good friend of mine. I was the manager of him, like I said. I was like, just get it, dude. We need to fill it. He's like, yeah, we'll get it. We didn't show it here. Uh, and uh, everybody, anybody said, you need to watch it. They're like, oh, I don't know, Dan. And I'm like, no, watch it. And they watch it. Like, that movie's really good, dude. And I'm like, everybody, all my employees watched it, and they loved it. I actually took a, it was one of the last movies we watched on film, because we had film projectors at the time. We switched to digital not long after that. It was it was sent as, um, what was it? Stormy Seas or Rough Seas or something, because they had code names and they'd send films to studios so people would screw with them. I actually took, they had a header and a footer on the on the, the film reels when you splice them together so you can match all the frames up. I actually took the footer off, one, one frame and the footer off of reel eight, and I kept it. It's on my dresser here in my house. <laughs> I probably know, no, I, told, I told the owner, I was like, I'm going to take a piece of this. He's like, that's fine. <laughs> So I own a piece of the actual celluloid of that movie. That's pretty cool. Actually. It's awesome. I know it, it's sitting here. I, I I can't help it, man. But anyway, I, that's that's enough. I've done my my gush, and I could go on forever about how amazing this movie is and how it changed my life. But Zach, if you want to go ahead and do your shout outs and stuff, so we can wrap this thing up. So you can find me as usual over at cultureshock.com and the Culturecade. I've been doing lots of game reviews lately. Check it out. I've recently reviewed Battlefield One. I've got a review coming. For Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, there's reviews coming for Pokemon Sun and Moon, and, and there's just plenty of other stuff I've, I've just been drowning in, in reviews, uh, so there's lots and lots of stuff coming up. I'm also co-host on two other podcasts. The first is a pro wrestling podcast called Running the Ropes. The other is a video game podcast called Pick Up and Play. And I just want to, again, thank everyone for you know checking out KMR, supporting us. Listen to us on YouTube. On we're we're on iTunes now via SoundCloud, and we will soon be making the episodes available over on CultureShocked.com as soon as the Kaiju movie review, the original Kaiju movie review releases finished through. We'll be releasing these on that website as well. Yay, verily, indeed. Of course, aside from KMR, which we do every two weeks as per normal. You can find me streaming video games on my Twitch account. I do every Wednesday and Friday, Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll put links for that below. Links for me and Zach's Twitter account, the KMR Facebook page, my other YouTube page for all my video game streams, Rome 21 Plays, as well as the Culture Shocked website, which will also be listed below. We do appreciate you guys tuning in again this week, and another episode of KMR will be up in another two weeks. And what movie will we be looking at then, Mr. Zach? For the next episode of Kaiju Movie Review, which we'll be recording on November 28th, we will be looking at Dai's Daimajin movie, the first in the Daimajin trilogy from 1966. It's going to be exciting. Indeed. I'm looking forward to it. This is actually a movie I've been, I've been interested in seeing. The, the premise alone just is super interesting to me. You'll just have to wait and find out. I says I guess so. So we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.